2 Timothy chapter 3, and beginning in verse number 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, can I just say that that is full-on happening in the religious world today? There is an element of people in Christendom who do not want to suffer persecution, and so they're dumbing down the faith. And this has been going on for years. Instead of saying the word sin, they use the word shortcoming. Instead of talking about repentance, they just kind of talk about turning over a new leaf. Instead of preaching about holiness, the only holiness in the church are the holes in the genes of the preacher. And what they're doing is they're attempting to have Jesus their way. But the Bible says those that will to live godly, that, that have a godly testimony, there's going to come some persecution. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my grandchildren, but it's what the Bible says. There's going to be someone make fun of you. Uh, there's going to be someone write you a mean note. No one told me that was when I was in Bible college. I had to get in the ministry, but sure enough, it's happened. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to be a realist. By the way, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he said, the world hated me, and they're going to hate you. So, so it's, it's a reality. And then in verse number 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And there's a lot of spiritual deception in the world today and false religion. And, and so that's kind of the backdrop of the message. But the text for today is verse 14. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now think about that. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And I'm going to let you sit down in just a second. But don't sit down right now. So. I'm working on a new message right now, and I hope to get some time to finish it in the next few weeks. But just think about this. Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, and he said this somewhat sarcastically, he said, you have 10,000 teachers, but only a few fathers. Speaking of spiritual core influences. Now, when I do preach this message, I want you to still say amen, all right? But I'm going to give you a little thought here. And I'm thinking of a visual I'm going to put up on the screen of the 10,000 teachers. But there's just a few men in your lives that have really brought you to this point. And you're either going to replace them with the 10,000 teachers, or you're going to keep solid at the core in your convictions. Now, the 10,000 teachers are bloggers, and they're podcasters, and they're people having little conferences, and they're having their different ways of doing things. There's 10,000 of them, but Paul said, but you have just a few fathers. And like a parasite, those 10,000 want to come in and slowly replace those spiritual fathers. And we see that referenced here. He says, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Let's say that together. Now, that's why it's such a tragedy when a pastor fails morally because what happens? Young men in college or in the high school group, they go, he sinned, therefore everything he taught me, I'm not going to follow it. Listen, if someone ever disappoints you, stop following the sinner 
that fell, but never throw away the truth if it was truth. You understand? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Okay, so I'm going to count to three. And I don't want you to name one of the 10,000 teachers. We know who those are. Those, those 10,000 teachers, they're out on the blogs. We know who they are. They're the podcasters. We know who they are. They're the, they're the new age teachers. They're the, they're the guys that are kind of seducing and trying to draw away and being sarcastic about fundamentalism. I'm not talking about all of those. I'm talking about who has God used to get you to this point in your life? Who did God use to get you to an independent Baptist college? It wasn't one of the 10,000 teachers. They hate colleges like this. Right? So who have you learned from? The things that thou hast learned from. Right? Just think about that right now. And, and my, challenge, my challenge to you is don't stop loving and don't stop listening to that home pastor, that parent, that camp speaker. Don't, don't let the 10,000 voices replace them. So I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to say, who is it that God has used in your life? Maybe one or two names. It's going to sound like we're talking in tongues. That's all right. Uh, but I'm just trying to illustrate this. So one, two, three. Okay. All right. Now, now let me take what can happen, because most of you just named somebody that's a soul winner. They've lived a good life. They have a good marriage. They, they talked with you after camp. They've helped you through a tough time. They've been faithful when things weren't good at church. And if you're not careful, 10 years from now, you'll think that they're a square, and you'll not even want their advice, because... Your 10,000 teachers have taught you what it really means to live. And they'll have labels for it, you know. You, you understand better than they do because you know more about grace and you know more about this and you know more about that. And so before I pray, I just want to tell you this. We started West Coast Baptist College to help you continue in the faith once delivered unto the saints. And that's what I'm going to preach about today is continuing, going back to the Lord himself, even to John the Baptist, if you will, in some senses, to the disciples coming through uh, the first century church. For those uh, early Christians that stood, like Justin Martyr, who was martyred for the faith in the early first, second century, for those who endured the dark ages, for those... Uh, Anabaptists who were drowned, the Waldensians, the French Huguenots, others who believed in salvation by faith, those in Great Britain, those in Germany, those that stood and said, salvation is by faith and baptism is after salvation, and those who brought our faith to America. And we want to continue in that. And this is what we're going to learn about just a little bit this morning, how to continue in the faith. Because I believe most of you want to continue the faith, and you want to continue for the faith. And so let's learn how to do that, because it's being handed to you, right? Like a football player is going to hand off on the Super Bowl this Sunday. We don't want to fumble what's been given to us. And a lot of people fiddling around with these 10,000 voices, they're not soul winning anymore. They're not declaratively preaching the Word of God anymore. A lot of Gen Z and Gen X don't even want to preach. And, and not everyone has to preach, but somebody's got to preach if it's going to continue. 
So let's talk about that. Father, thank you for this time to be here to talk about continuing. Please bless our service today in our chapel and bless our students as they consider their great responsibility to continue the faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we know, 2 Timothy is the last book the Apostle Paul wrote. He is writing at an incredibly difficult time in his life. Nero, the emperor of Rome, has fastened the burning of much of the city onto the backs of Christians. He blamed the Christians. And Paul uh, is here writing prophetically when he says, perilous times, dangerous times will come. And he says very clearly that there will be a falling away from the truth. And he's speaking about uh, the, the imminence of danger that is being faced by the Christians. And as we come to the passage we read a moment ago, he's telling Timothy about these dangers. He's telling Timothy about the fact that evil men and seducers will abound. And by the way, that's exactly what I tried to tell you just a moment ago. Paul was just saying, Timothy, as you go out there to continue the faith, there's going to be a lot of false influence. And I tried to tell you just a minute ago, there's going to be 10,000 voices with all these different doctrines and, and uh, unbiblical philosophies. And they're, they're going to they're try to draw you in, Timothy. And, and so what I'm saying to you this morning is of the same spirit that Paul was saying to Timothy way back in the first century, and yet in the middle of it, he says in verse 14, but, he said, there, there's this downgrade that's going to go on. And that's why men like Dr. Lester and, and Dr. England and others, they're, Brother England, they are, they're focusing on helping you to have solid doctrine that, that will help you to not slide in what Charles Spurgeon dealt with in his day was called the downgrade philosophy and, and all of the compromise of the day. Paul says, Timothy, continue. And I want to give you a few ways to continue. First of all, if you're going to be standing 10 years from now, if you're going to be in Patagonia preaching the gospel or wherever God wants you, you must determine to continue with courage, to continue with courage, because all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to happen. But Paul said, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so continue with courage. Continue with courage in a day of difficulty. You're going to be ministering in a day of difficulty. There's no doubt about it. The laws that are being passed in this land are often discriminatory to the faith the candidates that are the most popular believe in killing babies. In fact, they believe in infanticide. Come on, guys. Literally taking a baby out of the mother's womb. And if the baby didn't die because of the injections earlier, when this live baby comes out of the mother's womb, if it's still breathing uh, in certain states, you can kill the baby. And, and, and if you speak out against that, you're going to be the bigot and you're going to be the hater and you're going to be the bad guy for speaking up for life. That's what's going on in our country today. And you mark my words, some of these 10,000 bloggers and speakers and hipsters that are starting to cave in to social justice theology and they want to talk about injustices and they want to ordain women preachers. Guys, mark my words, they'll be ordaining gay preachers soon. That's where this is all going. And they'll be singing their songs all the way and having their little praise fest and, and uh, having a great party along with it. But slowly the truth ebbs away. And somewhere there's got to be some firebrand Baptist preachers who will stand and say, Thus saith 
the Lord. And it takes courage to do that. Because not everyone always likes when you preach what God says. And yet in a day of difficulty, we need much courage. It says in verse 12, all that will live godly. That's the courage. It is having the will to do the right thing. That's why the week of awakening is tremendously helpful. And I like to talk to young graduates of our college and Sometime uh, uh, they asked me, you know, what are some things you'd put on the calendar? And the other day, uh, Brother Paul Choi flew up with me to Tacoma, and he said, can you have some time together? I said, sure. And God knows my heart. Any preacher that's ever asked for time for me may not have it immediately, but I try to make it, do my best. And, and, uh, and he said, talk to me about some meetings that you'd have. And I said, Paul, you ought to bring some strong preachers in uh, for two-day meetings, three-day meetings that will, that will help to have a spirit of revival, that will help in laying down the foundational truths of the Word of God, that will, in essence, strengthen the will of your church to stand. Because the Bible says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And the tendency of the modern-day church is to slide. It's not to stand. But God says, I want you to take your stand. And if you do, there may be some suffering. There may be some difficulty that comes. And in a day of difficulty, though, we must stand with courage. And then also in a day of deception, we must stand. The Bible says in verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Now, some of these 10,000 teachers, they like to prom promote the most ridiculous questions. They, they are very seductive in their way of dealing with things, right? Well, you know, where does it say in the Bible that you can't smoke? It doesn't say that in the Bible. Sometimes you have to take a biblical principle. Well, where does it say in the Bible someone has to address that way? It may not say it that way. It may speak of modesty, and you must make an application has the Holy Spirit lead you? And sometimes, well, you know, well, I, I just think that it's just fine to use this method or that method. And what they're doing is they're opening up a conversation and they're baiting some of you who are novices into a conversation. And I, I want you preachers to understand, those of you that are preachers, you're looking at a preacher that has never once gotten into a Facebook discussion, a chat room discussion, never one time have I gotten down and sat there to type to some guy who's out in Wisconsin eating Cheerios in his mother's basement to discuss contemporary theology. I don't have time to spend my life talking to Neanderthals about the what-ifs of life. I've got to have devotions with my family. I've got to pray for a church family, 9,000 members by name. I've got a staff to train and a church to love and a college to lead and a city to win. And I don't have time to listen to the 10,000 speakers tell me that soul winning's wrong and that godly music is wrong and that being a Baptist is passe and that do this, you'll be cool. And, 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 and by the way, I've had many, many opportunities uh, with these speakers and they invite and they want you to come, but I don't want to give an uncertain sound. I have my priorities in place and I want to stand with courage and do what God has called me 
to do. And I'm just simply saying uh, that these 10,000 teachers, they want to draw you in. They want to set up questions and say, well, what about this? And what about this in the Bible? And, and, and while there's a place for certain discussions, some of these discussions, if not the majority of them, fall into the category of verse 13 of seduction. They view you as a pawn. They are not soul winners, these 10,000 teachers, so they want to draw you away from that name you named just a few minutes ago, your father, your pastor, the one that is the spiritual mentor in your life. And God says you need to continue with what they taught you. It's not about following men, though there's nothing wrong with following godly men as long as they're following Christ. But ultimately, it's about the truth, and it's about continuing with the truth. And so in this day of deception, and he says here in this verse, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, and I'd like you to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Now let me just pause. How many of you believe that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God? Amen. I do. So then it says, the Spirit speaketh expressly. So it's already the inspired Word, but here's some emphasis for you. The Spirit speaketh expressly. And what does he say? That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. And we see that now. Uh, we see actual Christian songwriters and sometimes preachers. And I could name some of the names. It doesn't really matter. But they're literally coming out and saying, you know, I love the vibe of it. I loved hanging with those people. But I never believed that stuff. And exactly what the Bible says. They're turning away. They're falling away, departing from the faith. Notice, giving heed to what kind of spirits? Seducing. Gentlemen, if there's ever been a need for discernment in your lives, it's now. Okay. Why did, why did I start West Coast Baptist College? To help with the continuance of the faith once delivered unto the saints. But there are those who are seductive in their mannerisms, in their methods, and in their message, whose goal is to draw a crowd, not to continue the faith. And you must have discernment as you are facing that generation of seduction. And the Bible says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 4, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I heard one Baptist the other day saying, I've just got to unlearn so much of what I've learned. i got to tell you something. I don't have to unlearn what I've learned. I've learned from the Word of God. The fact is that there are many that are unlearning, but what they're unlearning, they need to go back and restudy. Because truth is truth. And we need to be faithful to the truth. Notice 2 Thessalonians, turn there please, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled... Neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The Bible says that before the second coming, and before the revelation of the Antichrist, there's coming a falling away. There's going to be a falling away from truth. 
So continuing in the truth will require courage. It's going to require spiritual stamina because there will be a falling away. And what you're going to find is you're going to find ecumenical gatherings and you're going to find uh, people of all faiths gathering and feeling good about it and, and uh, gathering together and dropping down their doctrinal distinctives. And we see that today in the ecumenical movement. And Jesus is just sort of a part of it, but not the preeminent one. And, and you must stand with courage for the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue with courage. If you're going to be standing years from now, you must take courage today. And I don't mean a mean spirit, but I mean a tenacity to hold to the truth of the Word of God. Secondly, you must continue with convictions. Now these seducers, Brother Lester, they're challenging young people in every area. Things that they don't even know about. They're throwing out questions about the Bible, the preservation of the Bible, throwing out questions about uh, creation, throwing out questions about uh, revelation. And not necessarily because they have a truthful answer, but just the stirring up of the discussion might draw your little gullible mind in. And you must determine that you, with courage, uh, will stand and continue with your convictions. You see, the trend today is not to continue. And back to our text in verse 14, the Bible says, But continue thou in the things. Uh, there is a tremendous tendency today to drift, not to continue. The modern church is lacking in its ability to remain uncontaminated by the unchristian thinking and morality of contemporary culture. The church is daily being affected by the culture rather than the church affecting the culture. And we must remember that the men and women who have changed the world are the men and women the world could not change. Men and women who stood for the truth, even when the, even when the world uh, questions whether, uh, whether a man and a man should be married, even when the world questions the right to the life of an unborn child, even when the world questions the necessity of singing praise to God, whatever uh, they question, uh, men and women who stand true to the Word of God. I think of Harvard. Harvard was founded in 1636. Many fundamental preachers were trained there. In their original student handbook, it said, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. How many of you would say amen to that? Here's the statement on their website today. Harvard Divinity School is a school exploring all religions while aligned with none having a pluralistic, multinational, multireligious, global context. Doesn't that sound special? Pluralistic, multinational, tolerant, all of these things, but remember that pluralism is the broad way to hell. Pluralism, polytheism, are the beliefs that any and all roads can get you to God. What we would say about Harvard is that they did not continue with courage, but they began to drift and drift and drift so that now Jesus Christ is not preeminent at Harvard. And I want you to understand something from my pastor's heart, that when I came here in 1986, I had no salary, I had no choir, we had no band, we had no computer, we had nothing except for a faith to preach to defend, and to continue in. And to that end, I pray to be faithful 
until the day God calls me home. Someone might say, well, church attendance is up or down, or this is, this is great building or not a great building. All those things are really not as important as what I do with the faith, because the Bible says it is required of a steward that a man be found what? Faithful. And you think of that, those of you that stand behind pulpits, those of you that will stand behind lecterns. The great responsibility to continue the faith in your generation. Be, be very, very filled with convictions, convictions of doctrine. Come back to verse 14, if you would, please. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. This speaks of the doctrine. Uh, the primary barometer of growth is not numerical. Sometimes people say, well, look at this church. They have these thousands of people singing and jumping up and down and raising their hands and smoke machines going off and, 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 and there's 10,000 teachers saying that's the way to go. Let me just tell you something. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus can get a crowd. There is a difference between a crowd and a church. A church is a called-out assembly of saved and baptized believers holding to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this day when we are attracted to everything mega, may we remember that God is calling us to have convictions for the truth. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed unto thyselves and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now I'll tell you why I'm so saddened at the loss of Edward Sullivan. Because he was a graduate from the college who turned out the 10,000 teachers. He wasn't one of these guys hanging out at some little coffee shop with some little so-called Christian song that maybe says the name of Jesus. Talking down his mentors. He was a faithful young man, a Filipino young man who loved God, who loved his, his home church, his pastor where he was serving, his college that he attended, and he was a soul winner. He was someone bringing teens to Christ while others were sitting around blogging about, yeah, you know, those stupid rules and we, we just have a better way and all this and that. He was busy helping people know God. And we'll have no doubt representatives of his funeral and we'll honor his family in any way that we can. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. He's not going to have the crowd at his funeral that Kobe Bryant's going to have. I think Kobe was a nice man. I never knew him. Shook his hand a couple times. My boys had some pictures taken with him. Seemed to really love his daughters. And I know, I know the 10,000 voices would think what I'm about to say is judgmental, but... I'm speaking to theological students, and I just want you to know that Kobe, before he passed away that morning, went to Mass. Now, there's a God consciousness there, and I'm not saying he's not saved. No one knows. But the Mass teaches that you receive the, bre the bread into your mouth. How many of you were saved out of Catholicism? Any of you? Some of you? And that the bread becomes whom? Jesus Christ. We do not believe that you get saved by taking bread and juice. You get saved by trusting totally in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. To me, that's one of the saddest parts of the loss of Kobe's life was maybe not knowing that he was really saved.
And by the way, some people did, I know, try to witness to him. But on God's economy, what he is looking for from his people is not the magnitude of an empire like Kobe built. He's looking for someone to be faithful. And Edward Sullivan was faithful to the calling of God, to the word of God, to soul winning, and to lifting up Jesus Christ. And so while on earth the crowd may be relatively small compared to the heroes of this world at his funeral, in heaven I believe he will hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because he held with courage to his convictions. God knows my heart. I want to do everything I can to back up what your pastor taught you before you got here. You have 10,000 teachers, but only a few spiritual fathers. And your pastor was a Bible-believing man and a King James preaching man and a holy man and he loved his wife and he preached eternal security and he preached that, that the gospel isn't your license to go off and live a worldly, ungodly life, that the gospel brings about holiness and righteousness. Your pastor was a good and a godly man. I'm not going to teach you how to undo everything that those 10,000 teachers are trying to teach you to undo. I want to be faithful in continuing the faith and the ministry that has been given to us in this generation. Stay true to the doctrine of Christ, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, the deity of Christ. Be faithful to preach the deity of Christ. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, Thomas, don't call me God. Jesus received the worship as God, because Jesus is God. The perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the doctrines, I could mention so many, let me just encourage you, you're going to have choices to make in your doctrine and philosophy. Listen, you're either going to be a soul-winning church, or you're going to try to be an attractional church. Those that throw away soul winning normally say, well, I don't want to do the soul winning. I'll try to get the, the hippest band I can get so that we can draw a crowd. And you will. But do you want to draw a crowd or build a church? Do you want to see people saved or do you just want to have a crowd? You're going to have to choose between a soul winning and attractional. You're going to have to choose between the TR uh, and uh, all, all the rest. You're going to have to choose between uh, being a Baptist uh, and uh, being some kind of, a, of an interdenominationalist. You're going to have to choose between being an autonomous Baptist or joining some convention for the money, and that's the only reason somebody would join. A young man the other day was talking to me and said, I was approached by a, a convention to join their convention. He said, all I have to do is give 10% of every offering of our church back to the convention. I wouldn't join that convention for many reasons of separation, but I certainly would not commit the future of our church, 10% of our income, to some denomination who is emphasizing social justice theology, who can't get it right on alcohol, who can't get it right on women preachers. I don't want to join. I want to continue with courage to stand on the Word of God, you see. But some men will fall for the money. Some men will fall for the crowd. That's why you must have convictions on where you stand.
You must decide, are you going to rightly divide the word of truth or just kind of talk about some stuff when you preach? You must decide, is salvation for whosoever will or just the few and God hates everyone else and sends them to hell? You must decide, are you going to contend for the faith or just collaborate with whoever even if their doctrine is different? You've got to make these decisions in this day in which you're ministering. You must have convictions for doctrine, convictions for discipleship. So I challenge you this morning to continue the faith and to continue it with courage and to continue it uh, with convictions. And finally, I want to say this. Continue with, uh, with this matter of confidence. Continue with confidence. You know, a lot of times um, people today can really lose confidence and feel like, well, I just don't know if there's a future for me in ministry or if God's going to bless in the future. And I want you to understand that your biblical mindset, if it is founded in Christ and in the Word of God, should be this. My God is able to do anything but fail. Now, notice the confidence. Where does, where does our confidence come from? Notice in verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. If you're saved today, it's because you have put your faith in the word of God. Amen? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Your confidence comes from the scriptures. One of the things I like about teaching children is that they just believe God can do anything. And I like to ask you, you're not children, you're younger adults. How many of you believe God could bring a revival to California? Do you believe God could use you, perhaps, as a pastor to change a city or a youth pastor to reach an entire public school? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God could use you to go like Rick Martin to Iloilo in the Philippines and not just build a church that runs 7,000 every Sunday, but plant 2,000 other churches in one single country? While guys are sitting in their studies in America listening to the 10,000 teachers and talking about some stupid little nothing, men like Rick Martin are overseas touching tens of thousands of people with the gospel. Do you know that the students from his college that are coming to the conference in Manila in a few days have been saving for two years? That they do not have a dining hall, that they cook their fish and rice on the back patio of their dorm. That some of them have been selling their blood to the Red Cross to get money to come to the conference. Do you understand, there's a whole world of young preachers out there. They don't even know the names of your little 10,000 teachers, bloggers, podcasters. With their little sub-captions and new terminologies. Because they're just too busy, and I don't mean this facetiously. They're just too busy actually following Jesus and actually winning souls. Isn't there something in the Bible that says you'll know them by their what? I don't want to follow people that aren't seeing godly fruit in their life. Souls that are being saved. So have confidence in this power of the Word of God. And this is what, the, what Timothy had since he was young. Uh, he had put his faith in the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and, and we must keep our confidence there as well. Keep your confidence in the Scriptures. And let me say this to you. Keep your confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, when I use the word gospel, there's a lot of connotations for that word now, but it's not a new word. And some people like to use it to describe a lifestyle of permissiveness. I understand that. But when I use the word gospel here this morning, I am describing to you the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe in the power of that message of the gospel. And I do, by the way, I do believe there's power in that gospel to save a life and to transform a life. My difficulty is when someone wants to talk all about the gospel and their life is not being transformed. They're telling me how much of the gospel they understand while they gossip, while they get drunk, while they go into sin. That's not the power of the gospel. The gospel's not going to lead you to sin, rebellion, and gossip, and little sneaky chat rooms. The gospel is going to change your life, you see. You become a new creature. And our confidence is in the power of the gospel. And notice it says in verse 15, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation. Now, Brother Gatch will tell you this, and many of you that have preached, you know what I'm about to say. You can get up, and you can preach a message, and you can sit down and say, man, my joke didn't work. My, my message was a flop. But if you preach the gospel, people can still get saved. When Brother Ketch came here the first time for revival meeting 34 years ago, I was a very young preacher. I was 24. I had a lot more hair back then. So this was our first kind of a revival. So I'm sitting over there, and Brother Getz gets up, and he says, take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3. He preached a message on tithing. Now some of the modernistic, liberal gospel preachers today have unhitched, and they'll tell you this on one of their 10,000 sites, they have unhitched from the Old Testament. They actually say, we don't need the Old Testament. It's too legalistic. By the way, I believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But I was a little bit liberal in my chair over there because I kind of wanted him to unhitch from Malachi 3. We had like 60 people. I'm thinking, dude, I've got 60 people. My guest speaker is getting up here, and he's going to preach to them straight up on tithing, which is an Old Testament thing anyways, and they're all going to leave the church. That's the way you think when you're a young preacher. Uh, they're all going to leave the church. Now, looking back, I had told Brother Getch we could not give him a love offering. Maybe he was trying to help them to learn how to give so he could get a love offering. I don't know. <laughs> that just occurred to me. That's <laughs> never occurred to me before. And I'm just telling you, he's up there preaching on tithing. I'm thinking, oh, my. Oh, Man, and, and I, I, hope, I hope, they, hope they don't leave the church. Now listen to this. Through the course of preaching on tithing, he then began to talk about what the Lord had done for us when he died on the cross. And if he gave that much to us, shouldn't we give to him? And that was kind of the emphasis of the conclusion. And on that Sunday, a couple, Dennis and Janet DePrater, walked down the aisle they put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior from a message on tithing. And 34 years later, when I stood in this pulpit last Sunday morning at 8.30, they were right back there, right back there. 
And I'm telling you, some of these that are talking about their interpretation of the gospel 30 years from now, you're going to be hard-pressed to find them. Because the gospel does not liberate you from the truth. The gospel keeps you in the truth. If you're truly saved, you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. And so I want to challenge you to keep your confidence in the Bible. Now, I'm telling you that as a young preacher, I didn't have enough confidence in the Bible, Brother Getch. You did. I didn't. He knew that all Scripture is given by inspiration and that it would not return unto itself void that if he was faithful to the text, if he was faithful to the text of God's Word, that God's Word would do something in someone's heart. And, and God taught me a great lesson in that revival meeting that when God's Word is preached, great things can always happen because there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Not the website, not the dress, not the, the lighting package, uh, not uh, all of the other extemporaneous things, the humorous things. Look at you can fail in every area, but if you succeed in getting the gospel out, something great can still happen. It is the power of God unto salvation. I love the little letter I got a few Christmases ago. And uh, it said from a little girl in our church, Dear Pastor, thank you for this church and your preaching. I know that you work very hard to do that stuff. We are very happy to have you here. This year my dad learned not to drink and smoke and how to be nice. The power of the gospel. Keep your confidence in the power of the gospel. And when Brother England's daughter wrote me that letter, I thought, how nice that is that she would write me that letter. <laughs> Did you see the guy get baptized last night? Hey, you guys go to a local church college. Did you know that? Very few colleges on the last night of revival see somebody get baptized. Did you see the smile on the guy's face? The power of the gospel, right? God's word still changes lives. Spurgeon said, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Not the 10,000 newbies, but those that have brought you along. Remember what you've been taught and take it to the next generation and do it with courage. And be a man that stands and a woman that stands on the truth of the word of God. Be faithful and put your confidence in God's word that his gospel still changes life.